Last weekend, Father Daniel and I asked you to bring your Bible to Mass today because today is Word of God Sunday. I tried to send a reminder on Flocknote and on Facebook, but I won't publicly shame all those who forgot. So those of you that have, you can quietly look at them in your seat, and those who don't, just think of your Bible at home. So first, where did your Bible come from? The one that you have most prominently, maybe you have multiple copies, but the one that you care mostly about. Where did it come from? Was it a gift from someone or did you buy it for yourself? If it was a gift, why did they give it to you? And then why did they give that particular Bible to you? Or same question if it was you who went out and bought it for yourself. What inspired you that day to go and buy the Bible? And then what inspired you to grab that Bible among the many choices that you have. This is my go-to Bible. I got it my first year of seminary because it looked pretty. That's it. It was the prettiest one there. It's hard-covered, so I knew it was going to last, and it's gold-embossed. And somebody told me the translation was an appropriate one. That was the extent of me choosing this Bible. Then, what translation is your Bible? Because there are many different translations of the Bible. Which one does yours fall under? If you want to know, the one that you hear at Mass every Sunday when you come to Mass in Canada is the New Revised Standard Version. That's the translation that we use at Mass. If you go to the States, it's the New American Bible. If you go to the UK, then it's the New Jerusalem Bible, just because we like to make things complicated. But generally, those are the three go-to translations in our Catholic English tradition. But what it comes down to is, is it readable? Do you actually want to read it? Because if it just seems overly pious, it might look nice up on a bookshelf. But if you never want to actually read it and you can't engage with it, then what's the point? You need a translation and a Bible that you actually want to look at. To give you a, an example of something that's recent, that they've tried to do. This is called the Word on Fire Bible. It just came out in the last six months or so. Word on Fire is just a ministry in the States. And what they tried to do, what they're trying to do, is create Bibles that are more readable and accessible to your average Catholic. So, so far they've only come out with the Gospels, but they intend to come out with the entirety of Scripture. First thing that they did is they got rid of columns, and they made it like a book. So it reads like you would read any other book. That's the first thing that they did. Second thing is they add a little bit of commentary to help give you deeper understanding of what's going on in that passage, in that situation. Another thing that they do is they add sacred art from our tradition that is incorporated with the passage. So it gives visuals to what you're reading. They're trying to make Scripture more readable for your average Catholic. Word on Fire Bible. Do you have a Bible that you actually want to read? Because a complaint that I hear from Catholics when I kind of challenge them, they don't usually offer it up, but they say, well, Father, I don't really know the Bible. Baloney. Every one of you here knows the Bible because whether you know it or not, when you come to Mass every Sunday, 
we have a three-year cycle of readings. And if you come to Mass every Sunday for three years, you hear just about the entirety of the Bible. Catholics know the Bible. The other part that you're probably unaware of is just about every single word that you hear me speak out of that red book up there is either a direct quote from the Bible or a paraphrase of it. Do you know the story of creation? Heard of Noah before? Moses and the Ten Commandments? You know that there's a few prophets in the Old Testament? Isaiah, Jeremiah, Hosea, these names are familiar to you? Jesus? How many apostles did he have? What happened to Jesus? Did he live to a ripe old age of 95? And then St. Paul, he wrote a few letters, right? You've heard a few of his writings? You know the Bible. That's not really the question. Maybe you don't know it to the point where if I said, where do you find St. Paul writing that when I am weak, then I am strong, your grace is sufficient for me? Maybe you can't say it comes from his first letter to the Corinthians chapter 12, but you know the Bible. The real question is, is it personal? Is, are the scriptures something personal for you? Or is the only time that you hear and see the scriptures when you come to Mass? And then maybe you fall into the temptation that I know I fall into when I'm sitting in your spot, which is just kind of half listening to the readings until the priest can actually explain them to me in the homily. That doesn't make the scriptures very personal. This is the word of God for you. This word of God is here because God wants to speak to you not just collectively, not just piously in the liturgy, but personally to you. And I'll admit to all of you here that I struggle to make time and find space to have a personal reading of Scripture. It's very easy for me to have Scripture in my life because I'm a priest. So every day I celebrate Mass. Every time in the liturgy, there's the Scriptures. I have to preach to you on Sundays, so I have to spend time with the readings to know what I'm going to say to you on a Sunday. But to take time apart from that for personal reading of Scripture, what is God speaking to me, is a challenge. It's easy for me to make Scripture my job and not the word that God speaks to me. But I do remember the first time Scripture ever became personal for me. It was in my second year of university, the year that I was coaxed, coerced into helping with youth ministry at my home parish in the Holy Family. And before we started the year, all of us youth leaders went on a retreat. And so as a pious young man, I brought my Bible that I hadn't opened in probably three years with me on the retreat. And I remember being in adoration and I just opened my Bible to where the ribbon was in that Bible had been placed two, three years prior to that. And when I opened it, the passage that was right there was the passage that the whole retreat was based on. Coincidence? Maybe. But the saying goes, one man's coincidence is another man's providence. And in that moment, I was struck by how what is written on this page can have a deep personal impact on me. This is intended to be personal. God's word spoken to you. 
But what are some of the complaints among Catholics about actually reading the Word of God on a regular basis? What are the challenges to opening up this Bible and reading from it? Understanding. How do we understand what is written here, what the intended meaning is? Absolutely. Context. Giving context to different books. When were they written? How were they written? For who? Contradictions. Again, kind of back to the understanding. How do I understand things that seem to conflict? What is the intended purpose of conflicting ideas or stories? Boring? Anybody ever tried to read through the book of Leviticus? It is pages upon pages of the commandments described about exactly how you're supposed to do everything. It's not always rich in meaning and in understanding and very personal. Sometimes it's rather boring and it's a slog to get through particular parts of Scripture. How about just making time for it? These are all common challenges to all of us in terms of reading Scripture. Just because I spent six years in seminary doesn't mean I understand this. It may be understand that I don't understand this. That's what six years of seminary gave for me. Every Sunday when I preach, I still have to go look into commentaries to understand the context and the intended meaning. But for an example, somebody pick a passage out of your Bible. Just open up your Bible, play Bible roulette, go like this, and go like this, and say, Father, this passage. Psalm 137. So the Psalms we hear all the time, right? It's at every Mass. Psalm 137. The title of that Psalm and mine is Lament Over the Destruction of Jerusalem. Anybody know when that happened? Anybody know who wrote this psalm? Why did they write it? I could tell you. The destruction of Jerusalem happened when they were exiled, and the temple was destroyed, and all the Jews were forced out of their homeland to live in a land where they worshipped other gods, and they had no place to offer sacrifice to God. And most of the Psalms that we hear are attributed to King David. Some we know are written by King David, others we're unsure. This one I couldn't tell you off the top of my head whether it is or it isn't. But do you need to know that to get something out of this? By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept. Does Boney M come to mind for anybody? by the rivers of Babel. It's part of us. We know it. It has meaning. We sat and wept. We rem remembered Zion. Zion is Jerusalem. On the willows there we hung our lyres, for there were captors. Our captors required of us songs, and our tormentors mirth, saying, sing one of, our, sing one of the songs of Zion. God, they told us that we needed to sing, and I didn't want to sing to you. You don't need to know the context 
to know the sentiment and what's there. Because here's the thing about all of Scripture. The only thing, the only commentary, the only principle that you need to understand it, everything is about Jesus. Everything in the Old Testament points to him. Everything in the New Testament refers back to him. That's all that you need. So that whenever you read it, you come to understand what is this telling me about who Jesus is and of what he desires for me. It's the only commentary that you need. Because this is God's word given to you. It's personal. And the archbishop, for four years now, wrote a pastoral letter that he's been trying to promulgate in our diocese of living in the Word of God. And it comes from Pope Francis's words from about that time that he said, to be a Christian is to hear the Word of God and to do it. That's it. Hear it and do it. And so the Archbishop has been trying to instill that in all of us, to live in the Word of God. And us priests have done a terrible job at spreading that message to all of you but it's not going away. He still desires that to be what anchors and roots us in our Catholic Christian faith. So how do we live in the Word of God? How does the Word of God become part of who we are and of what we do? It can sound like a pious idea that we have to think, we have to speak, and we have to live the Word of God. But we do it all the time. The archbishop, in homilies that he's used over the last four years, often asks the question, who are you listening to? Because whether we realize it or not, whether we do it intentionally or not, we allow words to mold and shape what we think and what we say and what we do. Just think about, I'm sure every one of us here has at least one expression that we use that comes from our mom and dad. Even if they're long deceased, we still say something the way that mom always used to say it or that dad always used to say it. Their word has shaped us. Different ways of saying things, different expressions, they become a part of who we are. Maybe your spouse has shaped the way that you think about a problem or something in the world. You let their words shape and mold you. So why can't the word of God do the same thing for us? if this is God's word. It's not that I go out into the streets and I start quoting verbatim from the Psalms to my friend as I pass down the street because they need to hear the word of God. Maybe at some point, but most of the time it just becomes a part of who we are. Is that a part of your life? Do you have a favorite quote from scripture? If I asked you right now to go into your Bible and to pull out what your favorite verse from Scripture is, do you have one? Because every one of us should. We should have a verse in Scripture that we refer back to all the time. It's the place that we go to when things are low. It's the place that we go to when things are good. That it's our kind of anchor in this whole Bible of where we start and finish all the time. This is mine. Mine comes from the first letter of St. John, chapter 4. This is what St. John says there. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the expiation of our sins. In this is love perfected with us, that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, 
so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and he who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. That's my favorite passage because I need to be continually reminded of God's love for me in my life because I so quickly and easily forget it. That's my anchor scripture in the Bible that I go back to time and time again. We love because he first loved us. And I share that with people as often as they give me permission. When they struggle to see where God is in their life, God loved you first. Whether you see it or not, it's there. Do you have a favorite verse from Scripture? Because we should all have one. If you don't, just start listening to the readings at Mass a little differently, more closely, to see if something strikes your mind and your heart, and find that favorite verse, your anchor in Scripture. Also, where do you start when you read the Bible? It's big, it's huge, there's a lot written in here. If all you ever do is read the Gospels over and over again, it's good enough. That's all you would have to do. Read the Gospels again and again. For those of you that have your Bibles, open up your Bible to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 5. It starts with one of the passages that we know very well, the Beatitudes. Starting in Matthew chapter 5, going all the way to the end of chapter 7, is the Sermon on the Mount. If you want to know a summary of what Jesus teaches about how to live the Christian life in the world, go to the Sermon on the Mount. It's the place where Matthew combines and collects all of Jesus' teachings for the Christian life in one place. Just pray with that. There's a whole bunch there. You don't go through that quickly. Then I'm going to make you move again. Gospel of John, starting chapter 13. If you go to the Gospel of John, starting chapter 13, with, which starts with Jesus washing the disciples' feet, and you go all the way to the end of chapter 17, that's what we call the Last Supper Discourse. This is where St. John collects in the Gospel of John all of the last sayings of Jesus to the apostles at the Last Supper. If you want to know everything that Jesus teaches about who God is and about what he desires for us, read the Last Supper Discourse. In there, you'll find everything that Jesus says about God the Father wanting no one to be lost, about sending the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, to be with us and that he will never abandon us. It's the place where he talks about him being the way, the truth, and the life. The Last Supper discourse teaches us everything that we would need to know about God and about what he desires for us. Why? Because reading the Bible isn't about a what, it's about a who. It's not about knowing what's in here, it's about knowing who is being communicated and shared with us. Jesus. If you want a real challenge this year, you've probably heard before about the Bible in a year. Well, there's a really good tool that's come out this year from Ascension Press. It's an audio version of the Bible in a year. 
with Father Mike Schmitz. If you don't know who that is, he's got a really soothing voice, and so it's really nice to listen to him read the Bible for you. You don't even have to read it. You can listen to him read it for you. The beauty of the way that it's being done is one, it's using the Bible timeline. So there's 14 narrative books in the Bible that run the story of salvation. And so that's the thread that ties it all together. And then they add the other books in relationship to that storyline. So if you listen to it through the whole year, it's about 20 to 25 minutes a day. You will hear the entirety of Scripture and you will hear the entire story of salvation. You can find it on podcasts. You can listen to it online. It's a bit of a challenge. I'm still debating whether I do it or not. The other gift is that it started on January 1st, but they're labeled day one, day two, day three, day four. So you can start at any time and you can miss a couple of days and just pick up where you left off. That's a way that you could hear, maybe for the first time, the entirety of Scripture and the story of salvation. Why is this so important? Because if you have a family member that you never met, how did you get to know anything about them? By the stories other people told you. And to a degree, when they told you those stories about them, it made you felt feel like you knew them. We have this with people in history. When we read their stories, there's a part of us that connects to understand and know who they are. These are the stories told about Jesus. If we want to know Jesus, we have to have a personal connection with his story. This is his story, spoken and given to us. So, open your Bibles. Don't be daunted by it. And then I'll just leave you those things that I mentioned in my homily today. I'll post them on our Facebook page. If you want to know something more, just send me an email and I can send you different resources and different places where you can go for things. If you just want to sit down with Father Daniel and I and just say, where do I start praying with the Bible? We would be happy to. That's why we're here. That's why we spent all those years locked up in a seminary to be ready to help you to come to know God's Word.